Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that he is as close as the mention of his name? Man, that no matter where you're at, what's going on in your life, you can call on the name of Jesus. He has ears to hear. He has an arm that can reach to wherever we're at. What a great God that we serve today. Amen. Let's love him and thank him one more time. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your presence, your grace. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. As you return back to your seats, amen, what a wonderful presence of the Lord has been here. What a great keynote address. Amen. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm waiting in the right way. Amen. Appreciate the word that we heard today. Amen. And I want to say thank you again to all of our, our team that is here, all of our faculty, our staff, administration, all those who are, are serving. And especially I want to say thank you to all the preview students and parents uh, for making uh, this trip, this journey. Some of you came a long way and uh, hearing uh, some of the drives and some of the travel arrangements uh, in, in order to search out, to seek, to open yourself up to what the Lord might have for you and your family. And uh, we just honor that. We are thankful for you giving Urshan an opportunity as you're praying and seeking the future for your family and for your life. Amen. I... Uh, Every week it seems like I preach and that uh, the only thing that stands between lunch and a congregation is me. Uh, I'm just not used to doing that on Fridays. Amen. But I believe the word of the Lord uh, had something over the last uh, number of weeks in, for our younger generations that uh, I feel like the Lord just inverted me with actually several months ago. I want to share that with you. And so I'm going to ask that we would just join together one more time in prayer. How many knows that... Uh, we have to have ears to hear, amen, to be attentive, to be open. We can close ourselves to other people. We can also close ourselves up to the voice of God. And I don't ever want to do that. I want to make sure that my ears are open, my mind, my heart is receptive to what God has. If you join me in prayer one more time, Lord, we are so thankful to be able to come together. Lord, we're so thankful for the word that we've heard already in this service. And the time that we've been able to join together in praise and worship. Lord, I pray that as we go back into your word, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It orders our steps. Help us to have the courage to walk in your word, the light. Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for it. In the wonderful, wonderful, precious name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I hope. Everybody got a lot of good sleep last night because I know you won't tonight. So <laughs> I'm hoping you already got it. Amen. The pronouncement that a, a newborn child has come into the world is one of the most exciting occasions that people have celebrated throughout human history. Um, in fact, it's such an important occasion that we continue to celebrate on an annual basis the birth, the life, and uh, as long as we're on this earth. In fact, does anybody have a birthday today? Raise your hand. All right, see, we celebrate life. Fantastic. And so we celebrate, we break into songs, and I say songs plural because it seems like I'm hearing more and more uh, renditions of happy birthday and, and even... Uh, or spiritualizing, religious uh, even, aspects of it. In the Old Testament, there was this understanding that children are a gift from God, a heritage. 
And they also it signified the continuation of the covenant that God had made going back to his promises to Abram and that God was still blessing, his covenant was still taking place. It was passing from one generation to another as Abram's seed became as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heavens, the multitude that would, would be there. And so we see that even pictures throughout Scripture as people would celebrate the birth of a child. In fact, John the Baptist comes to mind as they, they would celebrate. And you have the, the village course that is there. And you have the community coming together to celebrate a newborn, a newborn child. Um, I have four children. They were thrilling days uh, in our lives as uh, we gave, uh, as my wife gave birth to, uh, to those four children. And I remember being there and thinking, seeing this child for the first time and wondering about them. What, what, uh, what kind of personality or temperament will he or she have? What, what are they going to do in the future with their life? Who are, who are they going to be more like, Rachel or me? <laughs> I really prayed on that one quite a, quite a bit. And uh, we, we, we would celebrate that and wonder uh, because it is also not just about the present, that moment, but it is also our hope for the future. And when you see a, a newborn child, one of the words that always comes to mind to me is just this innocence, this unawareness of what's taking place in the world. If you go to visit hospitals, you realize that uh, the mater maternity ward is typically uh, the most pleasant place of a hospital to go into because typically there's cheer and there's joy for the most part as people celebrate. And uh, there is no awareness of what's going on outside of even that room uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to the birth of a child. They have no idea what's happening in the world. They, they, they don't understand what it means to have a job. They don't understand what it means to have responsibilities and bills and and auto payment or mortgage to pay. They're unaware of wars that are in the, in the world or rumors of wars that are taking place. They, they, they're just completely oblivious to all of maybe the weights and the anxieties that we begin to be aware of and experience as we, we grow older and have to take more and more responsibility. For the most part, most children are not threatening. Now, I, I've met a uh, a few children that I was scared of, but for the most part, uh, children are, are, are not threatening to us. When we see them, it's amazing how our guard comes down. I had a professor one time, he was a, a World War II vet, and uh, he's a pretty tough guy, uh, pretty stern, and yet anytime he started talking about his grandchildren, it is just like he melted. Uh, you know, he, he, his face, the smile that would come upon his face, and the excitement as he would begin to talk, where at other times that, that was really not the feeling that you got. And when people see children, it's amazing how they, uh, they, they burst into a smile, they become open, they speak strange languages when they talk to children, and, and you will see these grown, hardened, tough, macho men, and they're like gooing and guying, and, and how we make over children. Not only are they innocent, but they do not appear to be threatening. And so this idea of life and excitement and celebration with the birth of a child. However, there are times, there are times in history when people were not excited about the birth of a child. In fact, there are times when people didn't pay attention maybe to their innocence or, uh, or that they uh, did not have any threat, were not a threat, that they were dependent for everything. A child is dependent from ev for everything, can't even walk on their own, have to be carried, fed, cleaned. And in fact, there are times when people not only were not excited about the birth of a child, but desired 
to end their life, to kill a child. One of the examples through the scripture comes in, in Egypt in Exodus chapters 1, verse 15 through 17. It talks about that the king of Egypt instructs the Hebrew midwives that, that they are to take the life of a child. Verse 16 says, you shall kill him. If he has a daughter, you shall live. Verse 17 says, but the midwives feared God. You see, uh, the, the unwillingness or not the, the sacredness of the life, of a life, especially of a child. When we lose that sacredness, we have lost our fear of the Lord. Uh, there goes on another time in Scripture with Adaliah uh, in 2 Kings 11th chapter. When, when she saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all of the royal heirs. We have this cases in these cases in Scripture where murder to taking the lives of the children were not a foreign thing. And in fact, it even still takes place in our, our world today. And when you look, is why would somebody be threatened at the life of a child? It becomes clear the Scripture also bears this out, Exodus 1 and in particular uh, verses 9 and 10. It talks about the children of Israel becoming more mightier than we. He says, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened that in the event of war, they may also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. We, we see that one of the reasons why Pharaoh wanted to destroy the lives of children is he had this fear, this insecurity, that if Israel continues to grow and multiply, they could become a very real threat to our future. They could join with our enemies and they could overthrow. And so he found it politically expedient to call for mass infanticide. infanticide. He, he realized that this was a threat to their life. Adaliah had this selfish ambition that, that she wanted the throne for herself. So one of the ways to protect her, her place of power was to take the lives of children and of younger people. Your uh, homeland in Second Chronicles, the Bible lets us know that when he became king, he strengthened himself and even killed all of his brothers. This selfish ambition, this fear, this insecurity because of the future. Zedekiah, when Zedekiah tried to escape because of the siege that Nebuchadnezzar had brought, the Bible lets us know that he is caught and the very last thing that he would ever see, 2 Kings 25 and 7 says, Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him in bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. The last thing that he would ever witness was the, the enemy taking the lives of his children just to just crush any hope that they would have for the future. You see, this goes over and over and over again. There is this understanding that if we can control the life of children and young people, the next generation, then we can control the future. Herod the Great was a puppet king in Rome at the time of Jesus' birth. And to the ancient reader that would have read about Herod, it would have been G Herod that would have been the picture of greatness, not Jesus in the ancient world. Born of noble birth, leader of armies. He was so highly regarded that the Roman Senate gave him the title King of the Jews, 33. Politically skilled, being able to navigate the politics, even when he had at one time sort of rose up against Caesar Augustus with Mark Antony. The greatest builder of his day, built extensively throughout. And the definitive biography of him is called Herod, King of the Jews, Friend of Romans. 
And those two go together because it's a friend of Rome that makes you the king of the Jews. Whereas Jesus was a friend of sinners, not the friend of Rome. And as a result, and that's not a positive thing in the, the ancient world, be the friend of sinners. And as a result, he would be executed as a threat to Rome eventually. Herod ruled in a way where only the ruthless survived. He didn't cower before anyone. He had 10 or 11 wives. He suspected the ambitions of the one he truly, the only one it seems like he truly, really loved, and he had her executed when he, when he suspected her. He had his mother-in-law, two of his brothers-in-law, and two of his own sons by his favorite wife executed. When his barber tried to talk him out of killing his sons, he had his barber executed. It was so bad that Caesar remarked that giving the Jewish uh, refusal to eat pork uh, uncleanness, that it was probably better to be Herod's pig than to be one of his sons. The Bible lets us know when wise men are seeking him as we are going to celebrate in the upcoming days, Matthew 2nd chapter, that he, he called the wise men to him and he says, you know, when you find this child, bring word back to me that I might worship him also. And yet this is a deception. In verse 12, he is warned not to return to them. Uh, uh, the wise men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And, and the scripture goes on to let us know in the 16th through the 18th verses that he was exceedingly angry when he found out he had been deceived and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. In all the districts, two years and under. And this is fulfilling, according to the time that he determined the wise men, and fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard, the lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod is furious about this king that they are seeking and those he's going to worship. And so as a result of his insecurity, he takes the lives of all those that met the parameters that fit, that when we talk about the era, the season uh, of Jesus' birth, we, we find out that all associated with it is not calm and all is, is not bright, but that there is the slaughter of the innocents that take place. The soldiers would come and take the lives of future generations. So when we look at the scriptures, consider the taking of life of children and of young people and of, and of future generations throughout the biblical text, whether it is Joseph who has this vision of the future, and yet because his brothers are jealous and resentful, they want to silence him, they want to stop him. Whether it's Moses who is born in Egypt, whether it's David, that Saul begins to hear this song about how while Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain his 10,000. And it's not long before Saul is trying to pin him to the wall with a javelin to take his life. We talked about the monarchy in Adelaide and uh, Yoram. We talked about Jesus with Herod, the slaughter of the innocents. Realize children, innocent, non-threatening, the future generation. And it's motivated by insecurity and fear and selfish ambition. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why would people take this stand against the next generation? Well, the reason is, it's not the threat that the children were when they were one or two, or even as young people. It's what Herod knew and what Pharaoh knew and so many others knew. They knew they're not going to stay children. They are going to grow up, and they have a future, and they have a potential, 
And so what I want to do is I want to stop them before they ever fulfill what God has for their life. Joseph, the favored father, favored son of his father, resented by his brothers, and, and uh, they're intent on taking his life, and, and he's going to go through pit of the, the pit and Potiphar's house and the prison. But one day, Pharaoh will call, and, and he, will, uh, he will assume the, the second in command in all of Egypt. And as a result, not only will his family, but nations will be saved because, because Joseph, even though you can't see it, when he's in the Father's house, God has a plan for him. He is going to be a deliverer. He has a purpose for him. You can't see it when Moses is born, and he is just a, a, a tiny little child, but one day he will be God's deliverer. And he will lead out millions of people from Egypt. That's what God's plan is for him. And Jesus, he might have been born in the most humblest, uh, the humblest of circumstances. But one day, he will be the savior of the entire world. And through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he will be king of kings and lord of lords. He will be God almighty. And so as a result, the reason why Satan and the reason why our carnality of our, our carnal world just hates the next generation wants to either stop it, silence it, or change it is because they know the potential of the next generation. That God has a plan and has a purpose. And if they ever fulfill it, Satan's kingdom will be impacted. It's not because of maybe who our children are when they're born. And when we look at this great group of students here, and already so many of them are involved in some type of ministry. It's not even fully where they're at right now. But he knows, he knows the power of a faithful walk with God. And then when God, people start putting doctrine in their lives and a relationship with God in their lives and their growing development, he knows what they can become. And he knows that there are people that we're sitting in this chapel now that are all over the world uh, preaching the gospel or being a light at their work, uh, being a light in the education system, being a light in business, that, that they are making a difference, that they are leaders and servant leaders in the church but to the world. And he hates that, and he wants to stop it. I realize that when you see, uh, when you have that child, you have, to, you have to clean them up, clean up their messes. And the bigger they get, the bigger the mess. Any parents can say amen. You, know, you have a baby, all you, all you need is one wipe, right? Hopefully. But all of a sudden, as we get bigger, the, the messes get a little bit bigger. And we all have our struggles in development. Anybody had any struggles as you go through adolescence and growing up? Nobody's going to help me today, huh? Nobody wants to acknowledge that. Thank you. We realize that. We're real people. Struggle growing up and stages of development and life and adolescence and decisions. And, and, and as we go into to, to new stages of our life and what was the challenge of making sure we brush our teeth every night before we go to bed and frustrating our parents with that. It, it, there's something else as we grow and develop from, from there on. And, and so we have those frustrations of growth and development, and we're not there yet. And sometimes because we're not there yet, we don't fully see the future that God sees in our lives. 
but God puts a plan and a process in our life to develop it. It's, it starts with our parents and our family and our church and our community and our education. But through all of that, God is working and shaping and developing us to fulfill a plan and a purpose that many times we are not aware of right now. And so what the enemy wants to do, he wants to stop us from ever getting there. He wants to keep that from ever being fulfilled in our life. And that's why one of the reasons why Urshan is here is we are part of God's plan to help protect the future and to be able to say in a world that is trying to destroy the next generation, we have faculty, staff, administration, parents that unite together and say, no, no, no. God's got a plan for this generation. God's got a plan for our children. God's got a plan for our students. And we've got to make sure we protect them during this stage of development. Because while I'm really excited about the potential that is in this room and what is already taking place by the ministry in this room, I can I tell you that what God has planned for your lifetime is so much bigger than you've ever experienced even to this point. And the enemy would like to do anything he can to stop your ministry, to kill you from going upon your job site and going in the education system and being an apostolic witness and letting your light shine. And we've got to realize that potential and we've got to protect what God has placed in our heart, our spirit, and our life. Joseph, there's a Reuben that started by saying, don't don't kill him. Just this this intercession there to keep him. And then Moses, there was a mother and there was a sister that that intervened and protected him when he was unable to be protected, protect himself. Mother who hid him for several months and made an ark of bulrushes and hid it among the reeds. A, A sister who stood watch. See, that's some of the things that we learn to do here at Urshan. It's not just about faculty and staff and administration and parents watching over and trying to protect the next generation. Sometimes it's siblings, it's brothers and sisters, it's peers, it's other people that we go to school with. In fact, part of our honor code here at, at Urshan is to realize that we are a community that is called to watch out for one another. Watch out for one another. From the honor card about loving mercy, here's what it says. That we model behavior that fosters a safe and peaceful environment. Compassionately confronting any person who believes to be in a violation of the honor code. Infirming the appropriate community authority if unresolved. What it is saying is that we have a responsibility to one another. That even when our, uh, the person that, that we share a, a dorm room with or, or somebody we share a class with, when they can't see that there is a danger, that we look out for one another, we can care for one another. Why? Because God has got a plan and it's an eternal plan and the kingdom is going to be impacted by this generation and we have to unite together and watch out for one another and care for one another and love for one another and protect one another because the future is too important to let the enemy have his way. (laughs) Yohash, son of Ahaziah, grandson of Adaliah, Jehoiada, the priest, would hide him in the house of God for six years. Hide him in the house of God for six years. And he would do what was right in the house of God. And he would be trained in the house of God. And then he would be the one that would lead revival and renewal and the repairing of the temple. But there had to be a place that when he, his life was in jeopardy and he had not grown and been developed and trained fully to fulfill his purpose, there had to be a priest. There had to be a safe place of protection that would keep him until the day that he would launch out into that ministry. You see, that's what Urshan is all about, is that it is about a place that we come and we get training and apostolic doctrine and identity and our Pentecost 
also experience our walk with God that when the time comes, we are ready to go out and fulfill His purpose and design for our lives. Of course, Jesus, He would be a refugee in Egypt. He would be in obscurity in Nazareth. But one day, He would step onto the scene and the world would be changed. I stand here today and it's because my parents through challenging times and I was a challenge at times growing up they were here they would say a hearty amen they kept praying for me I I dropped this bomb on my dad one time on on a Sunday night I was a young teenager and um, I told him I was gonna take some steps back steps back in my sort of walk with God my relationship with God and it was a it was a Sunday night and it was 10 minutes before church started, and he was in his office just finalizing. You know, it's like I just planned the perfect time to, to do that. And here's what he said. He said, we'll talk after church. That's all he said. So that night, you know, I was in bed sound asleep when they, my door opened up. The light came on. The covers came back. We started having a conversation. I I began to realize if I ever wanted to sleep again, I better get right with God. I have a vivid memory of my mother. If you have ever met my mother, she is just the shy. She probably never knew she was in the room or around. Running down a center, the only time I've ever seen in my life. Worshiping God, lifting her voice, a concern she had for me, that a dark place that I was going. But it's not only my parents. I think of people that I went to church with. I think of professors that I had in college. And I began to realize that all throughout my journey, there were times that I didn't know the danger I was in. There was some innocence that I had. There there was some things that I was not aware of. And I needed other people in my life to stand in that gap and protect me because God wanted to do something with my life. And if the enemy could have, he would have stopped it when I was a young person, I was a teenager. But I had people that were in my life. I had friends. I had peers. And that's why I'm here today. not just because of me and so when I stand here today and I look across this audience I think oh my Lord what does God have planned for this generation and what I have to do and what we have to do is we have to protect the future we've got to protect the plan that God has the the vision he has the, the calling that he has I'll heard to close I I I live the southwest suburbs of, of Chicagoland. And a story that really impacts me with, with our, our church, if you ever come to Aurora, we have this facility. It's, uh, it's a maintenance facility. It's a big, it's in a bad spot uh, because when it was built, we didn't have all the land we have now. And so the site plan, the, it, it wasn't right and looks out of place. In fact, if you were to pull on the, the lot, you would say, what in the world? Why would they build this and place this here at a church? And it would be a valid question. But the reason it's there is there's one day on a Sunday when the wind chill was 40 below zero. And my dad pulled into the parking lot and we had some Bill Jeter, Ralph Darby, I think Raymond Bryan, a few of them. They were underneath buses on cardboard boxes trying to get a bus started to go pick up children to bring them to Sunday school. 
And my dad got out of the car, and he goes, he says, hey, we're not going to go out and pick up children. It's way too cold. You're going to get out here. Uh, it, it, it's too cold, wind chill, all that. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till next week. And Bill Jeter said this. Bill Jeter said, Reverend, if we can get this bus started, we're going to go bring children to church. I mean, that was just Bill Jeter. Bill Jeter's passed away this last week, uh, last year, excuse me. Uh, when he would walk in, there'd be children just hanging onto his legs as he would walk through the halls of our church. But now, some of those people that he picked up are leaders in our church. And you know why they're there? They're not there because of how powerful they were when they were 8, 9, 10, or 11 years old. They were there because someone believed in them and somebody believed in their future. And somebody said, I know all of hell is trying to destroy the next generation, trying to indoctrinate them, trying to put the, uh, an evolutionary worldview, trying to put a secular worldview. And there's somebody that says, I'm going to protect, I'm going to invest, I'm going to train up, I'm going to give my life. And dad, when he went in, he had tears flowing down his face. He said, we've got to solve this where this never happens again. So we built a building we could put six full-length buses in that building where no one would ever have to work on anything outside in the bitter cold it was just because of this desire that the future is at stake and it, whatever the cost we have to be willing to pay for the next generation You see, I know that we live in a world that is a mess. I, I get that. I know sin is destroying lives and it is rampant. But can I tell you the reason why we live in a world that is focused on the education system? They're, they're not worried about you if you're here 60, 70, 50, 40, 30 maybe. They're not even really worried about you. They feel like you've already set your destiny. But we live in a world that is targeting our children. They're targeting them from kindergarten on because they understand that if we want to change the future, we start with the children and the young people and here we come together we have to understand that same thing in the church if they will give what they give to indoctrinate the world in the way of secularism how much more should we give and make a commitment to apostolic education how much more should we make a commitment to raising and training up young people to go into the harvest to be servant leaders in the church and to the world Wherever God has called you, whether it's to go into business, whether it's to go into education, whether it's going to counseling or communications, whatever his plan is for you, here's what I know. He's called you to be his witness. He's empowered you to be his witness. And we have to make sure that all along the way, that's not stopped or thwarted by our enemy. Would you stand with me today? The following was reported on television. Norman Borlaug, our person of the week, is credited with saving the lives of over 2 billion people on the planet. That's a pretty amazing feat. I think everybody would want to be known with credited saving a life, much less billions. The reason why is Borlaug was credited with hybridizing corn and wheat for arid climates. He won the Nobel Prize uh, because of the ability to grow this hybrid corn and wheat. It would save the lives of people in Africa, Europe, Siberia, Central South America, places where heretofore they had been unable to grow the food. And so he was credited with literally saving the lives of two billion people. But, but was it really Norman Borlaug that saved the lives of two billion people? 
Or maybe it was a man by the name of Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace was the vice president of the United States during Franklin Roosevelt's first term. He was the former secretary of agriculture. While Wallace was vice president of the United States, he used the power of his office to create a research station. And the purpose of the research station was, was solely to develop hybridized corn and wheat that would grow in these climates. And so really, is it, is it Norman Borlaug, the one who saved two billion, or was it Henry Wallace that created the worst research station and hired Norman Borlaug to come and work and develop? Who, who's really the one that saved two billion people? Or maybe it wasn't either one of them. Maybe it was a man by the name of George Washington Carver. Because before Carver made amazing discoveries with peanuts and sweet potatoes, he was a student at Iowa State University. And it was while he was a student at Iowa State University that he had a dairy science professor who allowed his six-year-old son to go with Carver on botanical expeditions. And Carver put into this six-year-old boy a love for plants and a vision for what they could do for the world and for humanity. And so it was George Washington Carver that, that influenced and pointed Henry Wallace's life when he was six years old, that one day when he would be the vice president of the United States, he would have the power to start a research station and hire a man by the name of Norman Borlaug to develop hybridized wheat and corn. So, so is it Norman Borlaug, Henry Wallace? Is it George Washington Carver? Who really is the one that saved two billion people? Or maybe, maybe it's a farmer from Diamond, Missouri by the name of Moses. He and his wife, Susan, they didn't believe in slavery, and a group called Quantrill's Raiders terrorized their area, destroying property, burning, killing. One January night, they came through, and not only did they burn the barn, they took people. One of the women that they took was a woman by the name of Mary Washington, and she held on to her infant son, George. Mary was Susan's best friend, and she was distraught when Mary had been taken away with her son. And so Moses began to inquire neighbors and towns around, trying to set up a meeting, trying to connect with Quantrell's raiders, hoping to be able to get Mary and her son back. He rode several hours north to a crossroads in Kansas and met the raiders. They showed up on horseback, carrying torches, flower sacks tied over their head holes cut out for their eyes and it was there that he traded the only horse he had left after they had burned his barn and property and traded the only horse he had left and they threw him a burlap sack and he grabbed the sack and began to open it he found a child in there half dead cold took the child put him inside of his coat and having to walk back to his farm he pledged to this child, his mother being killed, Mary, that he would raise this child, that he would give his child his name, that he would educate this child. And thus comes George Washington Carver. So is it Henry Borlaug? Is it Henry Wallace? Is it George Washington Carver? Or is it a, a farmer in Missouri named Moses who's responsible 
we're saving two billion people. I think it's all of you. Everybody playing their part. But it has to start somewhere. And if the enemy could have stopped a George Washington Carver or Henry Wallace or all along the way. But you just never know when you protect a life. You never know when, when you come to school and say, I'm going to give my time to putting apostolic doctrine. I, I'm going to get my, my higher education, but I'm going to make sure it's from a biblical worldview and apostolic doctrine because I'm going to go and be a missionary out into our world, whether it's a missionary overseas or if it's a missionary at Boeing or it's, it's a missionary at telecommunication company or it's a missionary in the school district. Whatever God has called me to, I am called to be a missionary, uh, to be a servant leader in the church and to the world. And it's critical that we not only protect those around us, but young person, it's critical that you protect the calling that God has placed on your life because the enemy wants to destroy you and keep you from fulfilling what he wants you to do in your life. So today, as we're going we're gonna to lead us in singing, I want to open up these altars, and I want somebody who will step out to make a commitment that I am going to protect the future that God has for me. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm not going to allow it because I don't know who's waiting on me to fulfill my role. I don't know where George Washington Carver or Henry Wallace or Norman Borlaug. I don't know, but I know that if, if I continue to fulfill what God's plan of purpose is in my life, there are going to be souls that are saved and kingdom is going to be impacted because I protected what God had. Would you join me in prayer today? Lord, I thank you, Lord, for our students and our preview students and parents that are here today. God, as we're seeking out your will, as we're praying, searching, Lord, you can see farther than we can see. You can see beyond our limitations. And Lord, you know the plans that